Wednesday weekend. Um, did anyone do anything really romantic or cute or exciting this week? Anyone? One, two, maybe three? Sweet. I, I, I would love to hear what you guys have to do, but I've got the mic right now, and so I'm going to tell you what I did. Um, that's me up there, and that's Rihanna, and so we got engaged. And so I've been asked a few times already, just kind of like, about our story. So I want to share that with you guys this morning, not because it is super pertinent to the message, but because as one of your pastors, I just, we ask for vulnerability all the time. Uh, and I just want to share part of my life and what's going on in it. And so our message today actually is all about love. Uh, we are, I was inspired by St. Valentine's, uh, St. Valentine's, and we're going to talk about love today, but first I just want to share uh, the, the love story that I've been kind of walking through the last couple of years. And if I am, like, talking a little too fast, it's because I have coffee, and so I'm going to try to slow down. Um, but Rihanna and I technically have known each other since 2009, and I say technically because we met at Westmouth College as freshmen, uh, and I say technically because we knew each other's names, but we didn't know each other. We, we actually never spoke more than, like, two sentences to each other per week for four years. Uh, because I was not someone she wanted to spend time with. Uh, <laughs> super nerdy, all that stuff. I played games and like outside games like Mafia, and she walked past us and was like, um, But we spent four years in the same vicinity and, uh, and, and didn't really know each other, but we, like our friend groups, kind of overlapped. My, her, like one of her best friends is my best friend's wife's best friend, or one of them, and, and so it's kind of complicated, and we're, we all got invited to, to Rome together for a wedding, and like, we're all there because they're all intertwined, but we never actually connected, and so Westmont actually became one, the only place that was not shared in our story, like, we, we both went there, but we never spent any significant amount of time together there, uh, and so in 2012, I was hired at Living Spring as a summer intern, uh, and some of you were here back then, some of you weren't. But I was basically just a college student that, for some reason, they trusted to work at the church and do youth ministry and, and learn how to, how to be a pastor and what being a pastor meant. And this is the first place that I actually ever experienced my, like a significant call to ministry. It's the first time I experienced a vision of myself as a pastor in any place. And I, I've been studying for three years pastoral ministry, religious studies, theology. I, I, been, I spent three years, thousands of dollars on this education, and for the first time I experienced my call at this church um, in a significant way. And so I fell in love with Living Spring. I fell in love with the Free Methodist Church, and when I went back to school, I decided to become a Free Methodist. And uh, I switched churches. I was serving for three years. I was a very dedicated volunteer. Uh, and I left that ministry so I could pursue my call to a more full uh, degree. And then the next year, Rihanna got hired at Living Spring as an intern, and we missed each other again. And, but then when her internship ended, you guys decided to hire her as the children's ministry director and college, college pastor. And 
So, and then a few months later, uh, I, I came back from my first year of seminary, and I, like John and I, kept in touch, and uh, and you guys, like uh, Pastor Kai, he had stepped out of out of uh, leadership here, and and so John asked me if I would come on staff and be a part time youth, youth director, and I said, of course, uh, because Living Spring is the place that I just fell in love with. So I started to pursue this. Rihanna and I shared an office, but even still, we were missing each other because she was in Azusa most of the time. I was in uh, San Clemente for a lot of that. I worked like three jobs. It was, it was crazy. We just kept missing each other. But then we became friends, and like, I, we just wanted to pursue a friendship. Uh, and then you all got nosy and super pushy <laughs> and decided, hey, we're going to tell him that he needs to ask her out on a date every week we see her. So that's what I experienced for the next year, until finally, I, I somehow worked up some degree of courage and asked Rihanna on a date. And it wasn't even like a little date, it was like one of those sneaker dates where I took her to like a nice dinner, and I paid for it, and I was super nervous, and she had no idea it was a date, and I didn't really either until we got, like, we got to, we got back to her house and we were having coffee and just talking, and I blurted out, I, 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 I like you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so we start we start dating, and two like two years go by, and then we're we're at September of last year, and we start talking about engagement. We start talking about getting married and and dreaming like this is something that we actually we we both start we kind of want now, and so as soon as she says like. I think I want to marry you. I'm like, I'm going to call your best friend and find a ring, and like, we're going to get on this. Her her best friend's name is Dee, and I'm talking with Dee since September, and we like we're looking for rings. We're searching high and low for something beautiful and elegant, just like this woman that I want to wear this ring. Um, and we get to we get to a point where I have an appointment with the jeweler. I see the ring that I want. And I think it's beautiful. It's two tones. It has a tiny diamond because that's what I can afford. And it like, and I'm ready. I'm 12 hours away from my appointment. And all of a sudden, I see my best friend sends me a website just to like do some more research. And I see the thing that she's wearing on her finger. Uh, and I'm like, that is beautiful. It is rose gold, which is her favorite, and it's vintagey and just feels like real. And so I called Dee, and I'm like, I'm, I don't know what to do. And she's like, sleep on it. You don't have to make a decision now. Sleep on it. So naturally, 30 minutes later, I ordered the ring. <laughs> and she, like, I'm holding on to this thing since October. And you're probably wondering, like, if you had the ring in October, why are you just not getting proposed, like, engaged in February? And there are two key reasons. There's a lot of reasons, but there are two main ones. The first is... We, we started pre-engagement counseling. And we really wanted to do this because it is something that, it, it doesn't make sense to either of us why people get, like, get engaged and then they start having all the hard, significant conversations with a professional that is, like, their goal seems to be that they're trying to break you up. Um, like, why would you do that after you've already committed to one another to, like, going to the altar and... Like, and, and, and you're just now having these conversations. You're, 
there's a lot of pressure. There, you've already told people that you're going to get married. You've sent out invites. Um, and then to do that and potentially bring in a lot of uh, deal-breaker conversations, just, it, it, it just makes it harder. Both of us have uh, families that have significant amounts of divorce and just rampant. And so we know the, the pain that that causes. So we want to be careful. And then the other reason is very practical. Uh, Santa Barbara caught fire. Um, and if you remember the Thomas fires, it ruined all my plans. So I actually had plans to propose in December. And we had gotten to a point where I was actually pretty confident still. But like, I, I, we, I wanted to do it over this, this place that is significant to us, at, over Westmont, because it's that one place in our history, in our shared history, that we share, but we never really shared. Like, we were never actually together. We never spent that time together there. And so I wanted to do it in this, in this place. And so Santa Barbara caught fire. I was like, well, I don't know what to do. Um, and then fast forward again to January, late January, and we had just broken through in some key areas of our pre-engagement counseling. And we got to a point where I just know. I, I know we're ready. I know it's, it's time. And so I called Dee up, and we're, we're planning. We're, we, like, I've got the space. I know the date. And, uh, and then Dee tells me something. Uh, like two weeks ago, she tells me, by the way, Rihanna is telling everyone and anyone who asks her about like, when you're going to propose, she's telling them, well, he's probably going to propose soon, but I'm not worried about it. I'm going to know exactly when because he can't lie, and I, I'm never surprised by anything he does. I'm like, <laughs> challenge accepted. Uh, and so I start planning this, this uh, with the, this kind of intricate web of lies that I, I don't lie to all of you, just to my fiance. Um, <laughs> which, now that I think about it, not a great way to start a marriage, but whatever. We're good. Uh, and so we, my goal, other than, like, I have one goal, other than her saying yes, and it's I'm going to surprise the heck out of her. Like, if she pees her pants because she's so surprised, that will be a victory for me. Um, so I call her boss. I, like, we get an extra day off that she doesn't know about. We plan a uh, day where she has to clear her schedule and all that stuff. And I call all of our, like, our parents. I've asked for both of her parents for a uh, blessing. And I've, I called our friends, invited them to a party after I proposed because I know she's going to say yes. She's already told me she's going to say yes. She's just, like, asked me already. And, and we, I've got the, I, like, I, I'm excited. We're, we're, we're ready. I feel good. And now the question is, how do I get her to Santa Barbara? And that's solved by a birthday party that I'm going to drive us both up to on Saturday, stay for a little bit, hang out, and then she's going to stay in Santa Barbara. I'm going to drive back early so I can get to church. I'm leaving early, not really. Uh, sorry, I wasn't at church last week. My bad. Um, but I'm going to leave early. She's going to stay and drive home with one of her friends the next day. And 8 o'clock comes around, and I'm like, okay, I'm getting tired. I should probably hit the road because it's going to take me like two hours to get back. So I say bye, and I should win an Oscar for my acting skills. Uh, and we, like, the plan is set, the, the trap. And 
she's, she's got the whole day, the next day planned with the girls, and they're, they're, they rent buggies, and they go get their nails done, and uh, massages, and all that stuff. Like, they're just pampered. And I'm busy, like, doing the back-breaking labor of setting up this location. Uh, I have to, like, climb a tree to, like, in, a, in, like, a sports coat and nice pants. These are the pants. Um, and, and 5 o'clock finally comes around. My, like, I spent most of that day just praying with my best friend and hanging out and preparing this place. And 5 o'clock comes around, and Dee is charged with getting Rihanna to this location at 5 o'clock so I can propose during, like, sunset before it gets super dark. And they, like, they come up with some master plan to get her all dressed up and, and looking fancy so that she doesn't yell at me when the pictures come out uh, and I can show them to you. But she gets, she gets there. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if you can see me. I'm hiding in that left-hand corner slash praying um, that she'll say yes. And we're, like... She gets to the spot. She gets to the place, and her, like, this is my favorite quote from the whole week. Her, what she says when she gets out of the car, she sees this whole setup. There's, like, twinkle lights and a lantern's in the tree. There's this white table with, you can't see it clearly in the, in the picture, but there's a book that I, I made for her and flowers, and it's beautiful. And she gets out of the car, and she turns to her friend. She's like, guys, it looks like someone's going to get proposed to here. <laughs> and I'm just <laughs> win. And, and again, I'm super competitive, so I win in this. Um, great way to start a marriage as well. And as she turns, she sees her friends have, like, their phones on her and, like, taking video. She's like, oh, it's me. And she, look, she turns around, sees me, and I, come, I walk up to this spot, this location. There's, like, an X right where I'm kneeling there because that's where the photographer said I need to get her to. So I walk up there, she's like frozen still, and I'm like, all right, you gotta come here now. And she, she finally walks down, and I, like, we hug, and I, I, I get on one knee, and I say some things that are meant just for her, and then I ask her to be my wife. And she said no. Um, no, she, she screamed like, yes, 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 yes. Uh, it was super cute. And... And, and, and again, I, I don't share this story with you guys. I, I'll, I'll show you some pictures, but I don't share this story with you because it, like, we're talking about love in a romantic way today. We're actually not, everything I have to say after this moment has nothing to do with romance, has nothing to do with, with marriage or finding a spouse or how to love your, your family in a particular way. It is just about love and how we are instructed to love one another. Um, but I share this with you because you are my community, you are my family, and I just want to share one of the most important moments in my life up to this date with you. Uh, and so I'll, I've got a couple pictures here that you guys can ooh and all over. Um, they're cute. I, like, she definitely wins this, the, like, looks competition, um, especially in that picture. I look weird, but we're dancing, and then that's, like, the spot. Oh, cute. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but like I said, we're, we're going we're gonna to spend our time today talking about love. And we're, we're honing in on this passage that is super famous. You've, like, even if you've never read the Bible before, opened your Bible before, 
You have probably heard this passage read at a friend's wedding or on TV or in some romantic comedy movie at a wedding scene. Like, it is just a very famous passage. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And the Apostle Paul wrote this passage. Uh, he wrote this, this scripture 2,000 years ago. And it just blows my mind. Like, reading this, like, re- it, it, it comes out to sound very much like poetry. And when I read it, it just makes me think that I can bet money on the fact that Paul was probably, like, writing poetry that made women swoon when he was a teenager. Like, boy got game. And so we, we get to 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm sorry, I, I didn't include the verse numbers up here. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8. Uh, but he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. First off, let's again just recognize like how swoon-worthy Paul is. Uh, I mean, again, this guys he, know, he knows what's up. And it, it's written in poetics. It, it sounds very poetic. But I, I don't think it's limited to sounding good or sounding beautiful. I, I, I think that there's real weight here. And so I want us to, to just take a look at, these, at, this next, at, at this passage a little bit in more detail. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Essentially, I could be the most attuned person to the voice of God. I could speak in different languages and communicate for the angels on behalf of the angels. But if I don't know or possess this love, then I may as well just be empty, loud, meaningless noise. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can, turn, that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Again, I could be the smartest, wisest, most faithful person on the face of the planet. And if I do not possess this love, then I am nothing. I I may as well not even exist. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I could be the best at doing all the right things. I could give all my money, all my possessions to the poor, to the needy. I could sacrifice my life for the sake of Jesus. And if I do not know or possess this love that Paul keeps talking about, there's nothing waiting for me. There's nothing in it for me. Clearly, love is is important to Paul, right? Like, this, 
he's emphasizing the importance of love in this passage. And I, I don't think he's being poetic here, like just being poetic here. He, this is poetry in, in a way. But Paul is communicating some incredibly powerful truths. He, it, I mean, what I read here is anything we do, every, we could be the best at choose your, choose your thing. We could take action, and if we don't have love, all of our work is meaningless. It's done in vain. And so Paul moves us from the importance of love to the definition of love. What is love? So he says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And every time I read this, I am struck by just how beautiful these words are. How much truth resonates in these words. Especially while we are in the midst of a culture that is obsessed with love, that sells love on, on, online. You can swipe right for love anytime you want on your phone. We're in the midst of a culture that sells love like candy to be devoured. And at the same time, it tells us stories of fantasy and, and, these ex and sets up expectations in our lives that really affect our friendships and our marriages, our romantic relationships as we wait for Mr. or Mrs. Right. And then if and or when they show up, we put our own expectations of fantasy on them, things that are impossible to meet except for by these stories. And so in the midst of all of this, I find Paul's vision for true love refreshing to my soul. I, and, and, and I think there's a reason we see this passage used so frequently in, in wedding ceremonies and professions of romantic love. And, and I'll just speak for myself, but I think it's because I, every fiber of my being, hungers for this type of love. Let me say that again. For me, it's every part of who I am hungers for this. I, I want, I deeply desire a love that is patient, love that is kind, love that doesn't envy or boast, or a love that's not proud, a love that doesn't dishonor or disrespect others, a love that's not selfish, a love that isn't easily angered, a love that keeps no records of wrong, a love that does not delight in evil but, del but rejoices with the truth, a love that is perseverant, <laughs> I deeply desire this type of love. And if you, if you find yourself in the same spot, if when you hear this passage, you find yourself craving what Paul is talking about, I think that's normal. Whether you're married or you're single, or you find yourself somewhere in between, if, if that is you, that is normal. That is good. That is how we were made to, to interact and desire. And I'm not even talking about God's love here. I, like, 
this is, this passage is not about, I don't want to say it's not about God, but it's not about God. Paul is telling, he, trying to teach us how do we love one another. This is about his expectations for human love. And so, I don't actually think that this is meant to be read in the context of, of marriage exclusively. I think that this is meant for the church. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why. When I, when I went back and read this passage, I, I started wondering, like, 1 Corinthians is kind of a weird letter. Paul spends most of his time talking about sexual immorality, like how the church is in, in, uh, in uh, Corinth is abusing the Lord's table. Like, he's abu- they're abusing uh, communion. He's talking about kind of a lot of, like, he's just hammering down on the Corinthians for a lot of things that they're doing wrong, how they're hurting each other. And then he steps in and he talks about love. And so I was wondering why. What led him to that? And so I went back and read chapter 12. And in chapter 12, Paul is just talking about spiritual gifts. Um, and, And I want us to read just kind of the end of it. It says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guiding, and different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The quick answer for that is no. Um, says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, and yet, this is, this is the important part. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. And that's when he starts talking about love. I, I think Paul is trying to insert into his list of spiritual gifts, all of these are really good things. These are ways in which we interact with the world. These are ways in which God has gifted us, has empowered us to work on his behalf, to minister the good news. <clears throat> and yet, there is something that is greater. There is, there is something that is attainable. We all have these different things that we can do, that we are naturally gifted at. You, you might be gifted as an apostle, or as a, uh, as a teacher. You might be gifted as someone who does the works of healing. I'm thinking of my nurses and my doctors out there. Like, you do miracles. You might be gifted with the tongues of men and of angels. Like, this is amazing stuff. And, and Paul says that you are to seek the greater gifts, desire the greater gifts, like prophecy, and, and he, he kind of gives us an order, and I, I don't know how I personally feel about this order. I don't like putting people in hierarchies, but I think what he's trying to say is there are some gifts that are learnable, that we can learn. There are some gifts that come with maturity as you, as you mature in your faith. And then there are some gifts that are specifically and specially give, given to certain people in certain circumstances, like the prophets and the judges. But there is one gift, and, and, and you might not have believed this or 
ever thought about this before today. But there's one gift that is, mo is more important, more powerful, and incredibly attainable. It's something that we all can have and possess. And I think that is the spiritual gift of love. And, and I think that, again, I'm not talking about romance. If you, if you are single here and you, have not ex you haven't uh, in entered into a marriage relationship, that's okay. For two years before I met Rihanna, and even when I did meet her, when we were friends, just friends, I, I sat with this, this decision that I was preparing to make to live a life of singleness and celibacy, intentionally choosing to never marry so, and, and to never have sex so that I can serve God in a more full capacity than I could as a married person. And, and I, I sat with that decision all the way until I, Rihanna and I uh, decided that we were going to try this. Um, and I think I experienced true love even in that season of my life, through my close friends, through my mentors like John, through my best friend Christian, and uh, and Sonora and Amanda and Amber and Greg, like these are people that I think have lived into this spiritual gift of love and have extended that to me. And even as a single person, I experience the fullness of love. And so I, I just want you to hear, if you are single, if you are married, that is not a barrier to you experiencing true, genuine love from people other than God. And I, I think that this is made clear in, in a few verses later. Paul says, uh, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And now three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's plain in the text. Prophecies and tongues will fade away. Prophecy, uh, the, the apostleship and teachers, like those, that gift will fade away. The need for miracles and healing will fade. But love, the spiritual gift of love, is eternal. It's something that will last into eternity. And while it's not on many of the spiritual gift tests that some of you have taken online, I, I just, I think that this is the most powerful, the most important, the most attainable of the spiritual gifts. And it's the most desirable. If we're to desire the greatest of these gifts, I think this is the one. Um, so you're probably wondering at this point, I'm going to be wrapping up soon, how do, I, how do I have or possess or learn and grow in this gift of love? And to answer that question, I, I think we have to grow in and revolve our lives around these virtues that Paul calls the, the fruit of the Spirit. And these fruit are joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And I'm not pulling these out of nowhere. These are, these are embedded into Paul's definition of love. And I'll show you that in just a, just a couple seconds. But these are also something that Paul talks a lot about in his letter to the Galatians. But it's embedded in this definition. I, I want you to look at this list. And I'm going to read again the, the definition that Paul gives us for love. What is love? And so he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Again, I just think that this list of virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, is embedded in this definition of love. And so if we are to possess love, I think these are it. And as you look at, the, at this list, imagine, will you? Imagine it, if someone said one of these, described you with one of these terms. How does that make you feel? If someone were to say that you are, like, you are joyful, you are gentle, you are kind. If someone used all of these words to describe you, that, I mean, that blows my mind. I, I want you to imagine someone in your life, a colleague, a, a family member, a friend, who doesn't know Jesus, who, who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. I want you to imagine them and ask, like, how would they, define, how would they describe you? Would they use these words? When I think about that for myself, I, I want to say yes, but I know that some of those words would not be included. In fact, <laughs> some of those words might be the opposite of what would be used to describe me. And so while Audra and the band come back up, I, I have two tasks for you today. The first one is the nice one, is the easy one. I want you to look at this list. Look at the, the list of virtues, the fruit of the Spirit, and Identify one, one of those, one term that you think does describe you, that you do well. Maybe you are a, uh, a joyful person. You, like, continue, your task this week is to continue being, choosing to live in a joyful posture. If you are a patient person, God bless you. I, like, that is not me. If you are a patient person, please, please, please continue being patient with those of us that aren't. <laughs> if you are someone who, uh, let's see, what was the other one that I had? Oh, if you are gentle, that is the one that, again, I, I that's the one I would choose for myself. Um, and I struggled with this for most of my life. If you, if you have been described as gentle, I just want you to show the world that there is strength in your gentleness. You don't have to be someone that fights or combats with everyone that you come across because your opinion is right. There's, there's true strength in gentleness. Identify the word on this list that 
I, that you would resonate most with and continue intentionally doing that this week. And now we're going to get to the hard one. I want you to identify one word on this list or one phrase that Paul uses to define love that maybe you could use some work on. Maybe it wouldn't be in the list of terms that people use to describe you. Maybe you're quick to anger or you don't have a lot of patience or self-control is something that you struggle with a lot. Just choose one. You don't need to choose the whole list. Choose one today. And intentionally work on that this week. Intentionally make choices that allow you to move towards possessing a greater understanding and a greater uh, embodiment of this spiritual gift of love. Can we do that this week? I'm going to pray for us and then... uh, Ajwa and the, and the worship team are going to lead us in a final song. And I, I believe Ajwa has a poem that she's going to read that she writes during the messages. Um, and this is a time where you can fill out your connection cards. And I actually have one more, one more request of you. If, you. if you have a connection card and you feel comfortable writing the, the, the thing that you're going to work on this week, so we can just pray for you, um, Pastor John, myself, the prayer team, if we can just pray for you this week, that would be wonderful. Please don't feel pressure, but if you feel comfortable doing so, that would be wonderful. Let me go and pray for us, and, uh, and we'll continue in, in our final worship song. Lord, we are so in awe of you. We are grateful for the opportunity to love, to show each other compassion, that you've given us a definition, and you've shown us just how important our love for one another is. God, you have blessed us. You have moved in our lives. You have spoken to us today. I I trust. Lord, we, we ask for your continued worship, that as we sing these songs, as we write these words, as we pray for one another, that you move. We don't know how or why or what exactly you do, but you shape our lives. You've gifted us, you've empowered us to do your work and your ministry. And we ask that you help us to love one another well this week. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ. Amen.